Welcome everyone to this podcast series titled, The Testimony for Yeshua. I am Michael, your host for this show. This program is being recorded as both an audio podcast series and a video podcast series. At Polyet Lotion Publishing, we leverage modern communications technology in art, entertainment, and information for the benefit of a future-ready audience in order to disseminate the message of God's eternal truth. First, I want to tell our audience a little about the content of this show and its purpose. This show will consist of six episodes covering the testimony for Yeshua's innocence as a human being and the truth of how he was the Messiah. As a witness to God's eternal truth, I will present a case in Yeshua's defense to counter the false accusations being made by pagans, heretics, and the Antichrist about Yeshua's birth, life, crucifixion, resurrection, and the coming day of judgment by examining the scriptures within the New Testament that prove the man we know as the Christ, God's anointed one, was an innocent man when he was murdered by pagan Romans and heretic Jews nearly 2,000 years ago. I will also present a vision of new life to come for those who believe in God's message of eternal truth and accept the Holy Spirit in the second birth. Yes, the time is getting close that everyone needs to accept the Holy Spirit and know God's eternal truth because evil men in this world are plotting the destruction of the earth, and the suffering of all mankind with their hatred and greed. I may not need to be specific, but I will reference, for practical purposes, that the warfare in Ukraine and Israel are evidences of the destruction to come. We are witnessing the beginning of World War III. I want to reiterate to our audience that our purpose in this series is to present a case to the world as a witness of God's eternal truth by arguing for the innocence of Yeshua, who has been blasphemously accused of being the Son of God. We will be presenting evidence from the text of the Holy Bible and from even older prophetic texts that originated before the time of Moses to prove that Jesus Christ was the innocent Son of a Man. We will further prove that Yeshua was falsely accused of being the Son of God by demonically possessed morons and lunatics, pagan idolaters, and heretic Jews who persecuted and crucified Jesus for his true faith in Almighty God, the Father, who is the Holy Spirit. I will also identify in this program the identity of the Antichrist because the time has come for humanity to know precisely who that is and what actions to take. This program is not about claiming that Jesus was not the Messiah, the Christ, or that he was not crucified and resurrected by God's power and Holy Spirit. This program is not Antichrist, because I truly believe that Yeshua was the one true Christ. The Antichrist may be known as those who claim Yeshua was the Son of God. This testimony for Yeshua is all about presenting evidence to the world that proves his innocence as a human being and that he also knew and taught God's eternal truth in his life and ministry. 
Yeshua wanted all of humanity to know that Almighty God is only one entity and to accept the Holy Spirit in the second birth. Our fourth episode will cover Yeshua's return and the Judgment Day. We will be presenting and discussing New Testament scripture to continue our claim that Yeshua was an innocent human being. But I must make it clear to the audience that we regard the modern-day text of the New Testament to be an editorialized fraud. We reject the blasphemous ideology of the Bible's inerrancy as it has been argued by heretical theologians who are unwilling to have humility before God, and accept correction by the Holy Spirit through prophecy and a true spiritual relationship with God. The Holy Bible is a cursed book because pagans and heretics have edited the original testimonies and materials so that the book agreed with the pagan ideologies of the failed Roman Empire. The truth is still in the text of the Holy Bible because those early editors were not able to change all of the facts in the testimonials of the apostles. While there are many people today who strive to change history by telling an entirely new version of it, we categorically refuse to accept their so-called wokeness that attempts to whitewash humanity's crimes of pagan idolatry, human slavery, and sexual immorality. What has happened since the time of Jesus is that pagans and heretics have repeatedly modified the testimonies of the apostles in an effort to further support their false ideologies, which ultimately blaspheme God's Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Believing in the message of God's eternal truth and accepting the Holy Spirit in the second birth are the key teachings of this ministry. I know that there has been a completely erroneous interpretation of this event, known as the Last Supper, that occurred between Yeshua and his disciples prior to his crucifixion. The pagan editorialization of the event as it appears in the New Testament Gospels makes it seem that Yeshua was telling his disciples to eat unleavened bread to symbolize consuming his flesh and to drink wine to symbolize drinking his blood as if this were a covenant sealed in flesh and blood. The concept of consuming wine and bread as though they were flesh and blood is actually a pagan ritual and even cannibalistic in its premise. This type of ritual originated in pagan cultures not associated with Judaism nor the cultural practices of the Galileans. Jesus would not have instructed his disciples to perform a pagan ritual in memory of him. Jesus was not a pagan like those ancient Romans and others who utilized wine and bread to represent flesh and blood in their pagan beliefs. The very idea of this flesh and blood ritual is satanic. The truth of this event as it actually occurred is that Jesus was presenting the cup of wine as a symbolic gesture of his commitment to them, similar to the way a bridegroom presented a cup to his bride as a marriage proposal in their Galilean culture. When a man proposed marriage to a woman by offering her to drink from his cup, her acceptance of this cup signify that she accepted his offer of marriage. In the case of Jesus and his disciples, they were being offered eternal life as his covenant with them in the afterlife. The paganized version of this event has become perverted to be the consumption of Christ's flesh and blood 
as a covenant. But the comparison as a covenant Yeshua was using with his disciples was familiar to them as the Galilean tradition of a marriage proposal. If Yeshua had said, This is my body, eat it, or this is my blood, drink it, the disciples would have all left the dinner in disgust because such things were unacceptable in their culture. Yeshua's last gesture to his disciples was to offer them the promise of spiritual eternity with him if they were to accept his offer by drinking from his cup. If anyone refused this cup when offered, the traditional meaning was that the offer of the covenant was also refused. In terms of symbolism, the cup of wine represents how Jesus was telling his disciples that he was about to go and prepare a place for them in heaven where he would call to them when God the Father would make it known that the time for the consummation of heaven and earth would commence. The cup of wine and dipping the bread into it had nothing to do with drinking Yeshua's blood or eating his flesh in memory of him. It was a long-standing Galilean tradition of signifying a covenant that had nothing to do with flesh and blood. The heretical pagan editors who altered this text did not know the traditions of Galileans and they made the mistake of rewriting the event as though it were one of their commonly known practices in pagan idolatry. The same editorialization of adding pagan rituals into the Gospels occurs in the Second Temple Period editorialization of the book of Genesis with the insertion of a pagan character named Melchizedek. While there is quite a bit of documentation about Melchizedek in literature existing outside of the Torah, all of what has been written about this bogus character in the heretical edition of the Holy Bible is a fairy tale. The event of Melchizedek blessing Abraham with bread and wine has the purpose of validating the inclusion of the Eucharist in Catholic doctrine to be the meaning of what Yeshua was telling his disciples in the Last Supper according to those pagans. The addition of this event in Genesis had the purpose of supporting the Roman paganization of Yeshua's behaviors with his disciples. There have even been recent attempts by these same pagan Catholics to discredit Yeshua to have been a homosexual by citing specific gospel scriptures to support their blasphemous claim. Those liars will surely pay for that mistake with an eternity of torment in hell. I can promise you that. Another explanation for this event of Yeshua offering his cup as a symbol of his promise to the disciples is that we are all being offered to drink of Christ's cup filled with the eternal truth of God's Holy Spirit. Accepting this offer from Christ is the acceptance of his proposal in a spiritual marriage to him that will commence on the day of judgment. Only God will determine when heaven and earth will come together in this event of consummation and the message that Yeshua repeatedly told his disciples and to all of us today is to be ready. We are all the figurative bride of Christ when we partake the cup of his covenant and we have the obligation to be ready for his return by repenting of sin and striving to live the life that God commanded us all to live by the Ten Commandments. While our sins have been forgiven and our transgressions forgotten by virtue of this covenant, we now have the constant task of being ready for the consummation of heaven and earth for the glory of God. We live our lives striving to be righteous, but we know that we will never be perfect in everything we do. 
the need for repentance is constant, and we must also be ready by never failing to have faith, hope, and love. Jesus continues to offer this covenant to all of us, but the offering is not a pagan ritual of consuming wine and bread as though they were flesh and blood sacrifices. The offering is a marriage proposal. Anyone who accepts this offer of Christ's cup has the obligation to prepare for Christ's return and be ready when God will allow the announcement of the consummation of heaven and earth on Judgment Day. Refusing to partake of this cup of the Holy Spirit is a refusal of Christ's proposal of eternal spiritual life because the consummation of heaven and earth will occur in the everlasting realm of God's Holy Spirit. Anyone denying the eternal truth of God's Holy Spirit is refusing the promise of spiritual unification with Jesus Christ. There is no physical necessity to drink wine or eat bread to symbolically represent consuming the body and blood of Christ. Accepting the cup offered by Christ is a matter of accepting His offer of everlasting life in the Holy Spirit. The ritualistic partaking of bread and wine or some other liquid to represent partaking the body and blood of Christ as a communion or commemoration of Jesus has become a perversion of the true meaning of this traditional gesture that Jeshua and his disciples knew as Galileans. Participating in the pagan ritual of eating the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ merely symbolizes the acceptance of a covenant with Satan who blasphemes God by the deception of pagan rituals and blood sacrifices for the atonement of sin. Jesus offers all of us his cup in a covenant like the traditional marriage proposal of his time, but the cup he offers today is filled with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Partaking of this cup of the covenant with Christ is the second birth of becoming filled with the Holy Spirit as a bride who will be ready by repentance and living a life guided by God's truth and spirit. Practicing the pagan ritual of eating bread and drinking wine as though they were the body and blood of Christ is a commitment to worshiping Satan as the Son of God. Within all of this explanation of the meaning of the gesture Yeshua makes to his disciples during the Last Supper, there is the revelation of the fourth angel path. The final path of angels that Yeshua must master is the characteristic of the archangel Gabriel. In the book of Enoch, God's tasking to Gabriel was to incite a holy war among those upon the earth who were the abominations to God, the offspring of the fallen angels, who were also known as the Nephilim in Genesis. Additionally, God gave Gabriel the power of bringing heaven and earth together for God's glory because Gabriel presides over heaven and earth on judgment day. The consummation of heaven and earth then becomes the spiritual union of the souls of mankind with God's Holy Spirit in heaven. In his pursuit of becoming the Christ, Yeshua understood that his final task would be to reunify with God all of those spirits of men on earth who belong to God by their acceptance of God's Holy Spirit in this covenant he proposed. Yeshua's mastery of the final angel path will occur on the day of judgment, which also happens to coincide with what has become known as the rapture. I told the audience in the previous episode that knowing the fourth angel path would be a surprise, and it will surely be a surprise to anyone left behind after the rapture occurs, especially if they are those who have thought they were correct for believing in the pagan lies of Son of God theologies and routinely consuming bread and wine as part of that pagan ritual 
which is actually the pagan worship of Satan. As promised, I will present evidence from the New Testament Gospel according to John that further proves the innocence of Yeshua as a man, not son of God, as the Antichrist, heretics, and demonically possessed lunatics will proclaim. It has been shown that the character of the demonically possessed, who are Antichrist, is to call Yeshua the Son of God because this is an insult. For this reason, I will state unequivocally that the Gospel according to John has been edited in its entirety by the Antichrist, so that throughout its text there are several examples of people, even Jesus himself, saying that he is the Son of God. There are even a couple of illogical arguments being put into the mouth of Christ by this pagan editor that attempt to justify how Jesus is able to call himself the Son of God without this being blasphemous. Nowhere else in any of the other Gospels or in the text of Enoch's prophecies is this permitted for the Chosen One to proclaim he is the Son of God. The Christ is the Anointed One. But the editor or writer who has tainted the Gospels with these blasphemous descriptions of the Christ was clearly a pagan who had the purpose of creating this text to support Catholic doctrine in the pagan ideology of a three-person identity of God. What is worse about this testament than any other is that this editor blasphemes the Holy Spirit by denying it to be the true form of God. According to the pagan editor of the Gospel according to John, the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. The Gospel according to John has the purpose of being the presentation of the Catholic doctrine, which has the blasphemous intent to teach that God is a multiplicity of persons that only pagans will believe. The ideology of multiple forms of God is based on pagan mythology, and it has been the Antichrist who has done this evil in the creation of this testimony against Yeshua's innocence as a man. I do not want to get too far ahead of the reader in this analysis and presentation of evidence that proves Yeshua was an innocent man, but I will say right now that there is very little in the text of this book that is true about the person and word of Yeshua who was the Christ. Rather than go line by line and verse by verse to argue how all of what has been written in this text is a blasphemy, I will instead only point out the few examples that are actually truthful. The audience can clearly understand my statement here is that the text of the gospel according to John is a fraud. Other than the first two chapters being complete fraud, John chapter 3 verses 1 through 14 has the similitude of truth, and the second birth in the Holy Spirit is the only part of this passage that may be considered to accurately represent the words of Yeshua. Some details in the text of John chapter 3 verses 19 through 34 also appear in other Gospels, which makes this part of the passage seem to support the validity of these events as they appear in other Gospels. The preceding words attributed to Jesus in this passage to include the infamous John chapter 3 verse 16 is a fraud. The majority of John chapter 3 is a blasphemy of Almighty God. The next event that at least says something of truth is John chapter 4 verse 19 when Yeshua is referred to as a prophet. And Yeshua was truly a man who mastered the path of Michael to foretell the future and the truth. Unfortunately, the text following this truth is a blasphemy because the author of this text describes Yeshua as having the character of a megalomaniac schizophrenic. The author develops the character of Jesus to be someone who is suffering from psychosis or is demonically possessed. As previously proven by evidence from the other Gospels, 
Only the demonically possessed call Yeshua the Son of God, and it was a demonically possessed lunatic who wrote the gospel according to John. The fifth chapter of John presents details not found anywhere else about events of healing miracles until verses 17 through 26, which becomes completely contradictory to the character and teaching of Jesus in all other gospels. John chapter 5 verses 27 through 47 is the beginning of the faulty logic I previously mentioned, and this insane perspective further characterizes Yeshua as a schizophrenic. The evidence proving the, the innocence of Yeshua is that this document is so blatantly blasphemous that it is obviously a false testimony. For all it's worth, the personality and character of Jesus that the author presents in this gospel are not much different from characters appearing in a Shakespearean tragedy like Richard III. In fact, it seems as though this so-called gospel might have actually been a vain attempt to rewrite the story of Christ as a Shakespearean-style tragedy because the characterization of Jesus is a completely insulting person who disrespected his mother in chapter 2 and everyone else who came into contact with him throughout the entire book. Additionally, the personality of Jesus in this gospel is so compellingly bad that everyone wants to kill him for being so blasphemous. This version of the story of Yeshua is completely fraudulent because all of the other testimonies prove that people loved him for what he was doing and saying to them. The evidence in Yeshua's defense is that this testimony falsely proclaims him to be the Son of God by describing him as having the character of Satan. The truth is that Satan was the Son of God, and it has been the Antichrist who created this text as a curse within the New Testament. In my previous presentations of evidence, I proved that only the demonically possessed called Yeshua the Son of God, and this tale creates the understanding that this person who claims to be the Christ is a stark raving, mad lunatic, obviously possessed by demons. Yeshua never refers to himself as the Son of God in any other gospel, which proves that the text of this fourth gospel is a complete fraud and heresy. John chapter 4 verse 16 has one truth to it when it refers to Jesus as the prophet who has come to the world, and it is followed by a reference of Jesus calling himself Son of Man in chapter 6 verse 27. After this small bit of what might have been original testimony, the remainder is a complete fraud and blasphemes God. John chapter 8 seems truncated at its beginning as if there is something missing from the story. I can tell you what is missing from the story. The description of the transfiguration event does not appear in this tale because this gospel was not written by the Apostle John. In the Amplified Bible, the editor of that version of the Bible mentions the transfiguration at the beginning of the gospel according to John as if to fool readers into thinking it is within the text of the gospel. The pagan editor of the Amplified Bible erroneously says without any validation that the event of transfiguration confirmed that Yeshua was the Son of God. Even the editor of the Amplified Bible was Antichrist. The transfiguration was not the confirmation that Jesus was the Son of God. It was the event when Jesus received the gift of everlasting life. The historical proof of this fact is in the book of Enoch, and the Old Testament book of Second Kings. All of what appears in chapter 8 is about some crazy-talking lunatics who want to kill another crazy-talking lunatic. All this debauchery proves undeniably that demonically-possessed lunatics called Jesus the Son of God. They still do to this day. John chapter 9 verse 17 is another true statement saying that Yeshua is a prophet. 
There is nothing blasphemous or contradictory to God's eternal truth about saying that Yeshua was the Son of Man or that he was a prophet. Information presented in chapter 10 seems to begin as reasonably truthful about Yeshua, but it quickly turns dark with blasphemies to once again proclaim that Jesus was Son of God. Chapter 11 has this fake Jesus character exalting himself repeatedly in contradiction of the statement Yeshua makes about those who exalt themselves will be abased. Chapter 12 is an event that does occur in other Gospels, but it is presented in this version as the glorification of the Son of God. I remind the audience that he is riding into town on a donkey, but this version of Yeshua is not humble about what is happening in this version of the story. He acts perturbed about how long it took for people to begin worshiping him. None of the details presented in this version of the event portray him as a humble man, being respected by the people as the son of David, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. Instead, this false version of Jesus goes on and on about how he deserves this glorification because he is the son of God. None of this is an affirmation of the man Jesus would have been in his life. Instead, it portrays him as a self-conceited and self-absorbed psychotic lunatic. This text is the story of the Antichrist and is a portrayal of Satan who has always been known as the Son of God. Anyone who says that Jesus was the Son of God is actually worshiping Satan by speaking this blasphemy of God. John chapter 12 verses 44 through 50 might actually be the words of Yeshua because none of this contradicts the eternal truth. It is not wrong for Jesus to have said that God is his father. I will tell the audience that God is my father. And I will further say, without blasphemy or psychosis, that I am doing my father's will. If I said that I am the son of God and you will now worship me because I have proven it with my words that simply say so, you would probably want to kill me, the same as those in this story wanted to kill Jesus for saying such blasphemies. John chapter 13 verses 34 through 38 might have been words spoken by Yeshua, but he would not have spoken about being glorified the way it appears in verses 31 through 33. Chapter 14 suffers extensive pagan editorialization of something that appears truthful in other Gospels. Verse 26 is the most important of all in this passage, but it is still inaccurate. The Holy Spirit is not the Comforter. The Holy Spirit is the true form of Almighty God, because God is never the flesh and has always been spirit. The pagan portrayal of God as three persons appears in this passage because it is the pagan doctrine of Catholicism. This pagan perspective of a multiplicity of God does not appear in any other gospel because this text is a fraudulent recreation of heretics and pagans who call themselves Catholics. The concept of God is a multiplicity of persons is not supported anywhere in the Old Testament nor the prophecies of the book of Enoch. Finally, the only part of this gospel that might be considered acceptably accurate is the telling of the crucifixion and resurrection in chapters 18, 19, and some of 20. These details may have actually been from the original, unaltered text of the gospel according to the Apostle John, if he even wrote any of it at all. The remainder of the text after this event is mostly a lie as well. While the underlying content within this text that describes events in the life of Yeshua may be corroborated by comparing them to those found in the other Gospels, it is quite obvious that the majority of what this book says is a heresy. 
the pagan editor or author of this book, did not know ancient Judaism nor the culture of Galileans. The final nail in the coffin of the eternally suffering author and or editor of this flagrant blasphemy of God appears in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 59. I have already described the purpose of the Last Supper event and that it was a symbolic gesture of a covenant Yeshua makes with his disciples. What has caused this event to become a pagan ritual is the blasphemy within the text of this gospel. In these verses, Yeshua is reported to be telling the people of Capernaum that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to receive everlasting life. Consuming the flesh and blood of a person is not only a pagan ritual, it also contradicts what he supposedly said in John chapter 3, verse 16, which is that they only needed to believe he was the Son of God to receive everlasting life. Well, which is it? You have to eat and drink the blood and body of Christ to have a salvation, or you just need to believe that he's the Son of God? The answer is simple. None of this text is true, and the paganization of the message of Christ has been the goal of the Antichrist. I make it known here today that the Roman Catholic Church is the religion of the Antichrist, and those heretics worship Satan with pagan rituals. I will offer only some similitude of consolation in a rebuttal to my argument which claims adamantly and without any regret that the gospel according to John is an outright lie and blasphemes God who is only one entity. I understand that an oppositional argument would be that all of what is said in this book is only figurative. It is just symbolic. It is a metaphor. Well, my response to these vainly proposed arguments is that you can take all of this metaphor, symbolically figurative language, and get in line for the express elevator to hell, because that is just where you're going if you believe any of the garbage in the text of the Gospel according to John. Your response is most likely to tell me that hell does not exist because it is also figurative. You may do so at your own peril. In this episode, we have presented the fourth part of our testimony for Yeshua. We stand firm by our testimony that Yeshua was an innocent man, a human being, not son of God. We have covered the known predictions of Judgment Day, the real purpose of the cup of wine Yeshua offered his disciples, and the revelation of how the gospel according to John is a complete fraud. Additionally, we have made it fully known that the theology of the Roman Catholic Church is the religion of the Antichrist. In summation of this detail, I will hereby make it known by the gift the Holy Spirit has given me to say that any denomination of Christianity that continues to preach, promote, or otherwise declare that Jesus Christ was the Son of God will also be known as the Antichrist. Any followers of the Antichrist will be left behind in the rapture for their blasphemy of God. In accordance with the oldest prophecy from Almighty God, which may be found in the book of Enoch, any person who calls the Chosen One, Jesus Christ, the Son of Woman, or Son of God, will be rejected by God on Judgment Day. Make no mistake, condemnation for this blasphemy of falsely accusing the Son of Man to have been the offspring of Almighty God in a human female will be eternal suffering in the chasm of fire. We also continue to declare our rejection of the fraudulent ideology of biblical inerrancy by proclaiming to the world that the Holy Bible has suffered many years of heretical editorialization, resulting in a text that is filled with lies and falsehoods. We will continue to expose these faults with our testimony for Yeshua's innocence as a human being. We unequivocally proclaim that the gospel according to John and any other text within the New Testament that blatantly blasphemes God by saying that Yeshua was the Son of God or by falsely claiming that Christ said these words about himself is evidence of the Antichrist. All who worship the Antichrist will say that Yeshua was the Son of God 
because Satan was the son of God. The Antichrist is a demonically possessed lunatic who calls Yeshua the son of God as a blasphemy of Almighty God who is only one everlasting spiritual entity forever and ever. Yeshua was not guilty of claiming to be the son of God because that was something only demonically possessed lunatics will say. And true believers in Almighty God's Holy Spirit know Yeshua was the descendant of King David and the son of a man. We have been given the prophecy of eternal truth by the Holy Spirit and these truths will be our guide to exposing the lies hidden within the New Testament. Our fifth episode will cover Mary's vision of Yeshua's promise and covenant to all of those among humanity who have chosen to accept his offer of everlasting life for a belief in his message of the eternal truth of Almighty God. Our testimony will continue to prove Yeshua's innocence as a man whom God chose to deliver the message of repentance and the eternal truth of the Holy Spirit to the world. We will review information from other texts within the New Testament to support our testimony in the next and final episode of our series. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.